Welcome. As always, I am so thrilled that you are here, and I feel really honored to share with you my next guest. Her story is one that is in some ways very painful to hear and in other ways quite liberating and her power and her healing and where she's at now is quite inspiring. So I am thrilled to share this interview with you. And before we dive in, make sure and go and check out my latest offerings with the 13-week Leaving Religion course that's coming up November 9th, as well as our heart-opening retreat that starts October 21st. I think I got the date right. I may be wrong on the date, but it's October. There's a few spots left in that retreat, and both of these experiences are ones that if you are looking for something more in your life to assist you in your transition and your movement forward and really leaning into and stepping into all that you are, I highly recommend you go check out both of these things. And just to plug Audrey for a minute, she's a beautiful coach, um, breath work. She does all sorts of things that you'll hear later on in her story. If you want to find her, go to thebreathingco.com and you can find her on social media as well. Also go find, like, and subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share this with people that you feel like this would resonate with. And without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. Well, today I am sitting down with a very, very old friend, and we we were friends, but not really friends. So, right, like acquaintance friends right. with the one person removed <laughs> scenario always playing out. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. But I'm sitting down with Audrey O'Brien, yeah. and you and I kind of reconnected over social media. Which mm-hmm. thank God for social media. And there's some really beautiful things that do come out of. Yeah, there's some not so great things, but at- this is. Yeah. One of the beautiful, they're both beautiful. They're not so great. Things are beautiful too. If you understand how to hold them, sit with them and allow that to alchemize you. Right. And in that way, cause dark art is still art. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I love that you just said that. Yeah. But yeah, it's been fun to, to reconnect and then be sitting across from each other. And it's been 20 years. Oh, probably more. I don't think I, I don't think I've really seen you since like junior high. Probably not. That is so crazy. So. Wow. The lifetimes we've lived since then and here circling back around. Well, and you shared that it's like all these people, one degree of separation that I, uh, wow. Just crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It is crazy. But thank you for saying yes to this and for leaning in. And what I'm really, really looking forward to is hearing your story because I do Mm. not know it. I know the work you do now that's quite beautiful. And I see what you're doing on social media and you're a a coach and facilitator. And we'll get into that later. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited to hear your story. So did you... Obviously, you were born and raised in Utah, right? Yeah, yeah. Before I go there, though, just thank you. Oh, yeah. Like the the space you hold is is oh. felt warm, felt like a womb, right? And that's the only way I would have stepped in. Well, thank um, you for sharing that. I appreciate. So that. I want to reflect that first, but yeah. So I was born in Bountiful, Utah, but I actually think this story just like one little little detail, little background on my grandparents. My mother came from a very, very, very Mormon family. My grandfather was a bishop for like 30 years or mm-hmm. I don't know, some astronomical amount of time, right? In Linden. Hmm. That is a weird time to be a bishop for over, how long? 
Uh, like I just remember people talking about it being long. I don't remember a specific <laughs> number, but yeah. just like it always seemed like it was something. What it was like a bragging thing in the family, like because he was so worthy, he was a bishop. Yeah, it's like it was a thing, and so I don't know an exact number, but that's like my recollection of yeah. it, right? And um, she was the youngest and a lot younger. So mm-hmm. stuff around that for sure. So that's the family she came from. My father came from a Mormon family, BYU professor, grandfather, active while he was growing up, but kind of progressive, especially for their time. Hmm. My grandmother was a feminist who ended up gaining a lot of notoriety about like her calling out the patriarchy. Oh, wow. And, and back then that. Yeah. Like newspaper, newspaper article, media covered it. She's been in, she's a published author on this subject. Mm-hmm. Like there was some stuff around that right but also just parents who didn't live a more orthodox mormon life Mm -hmm. and so two humans who come from mormon families but very 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 different mormon families get married so i was i when i was born my grandmother actually left the church the year I was born, like formally left it. I think she had really left it for, Mm -hmm. you know, long prior, but a formal sort of like I'm done and I will say it out loud. So she leaves the year that I'm born and my parents don't stay together very long after that. I don't know very much about their relationship, mm-hmm. about my conception or anything around my preg- the pregnancy or their divorce, even though I do know it's always circulated around sexuality because my dad decided he was gay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So my my existence as it is integrated into Mormon religion from two Mormon families is deeply symbolic. Mm -hmm. So symbolic. So my emancipation, because they're so intertwined around this subject of sexuality within the church and within these frameworks, these families and my parents feel unresolved feelings about all of that, their inability to really address their own stuff Mm -hmm. has been so much of my work. It's been an emancipation. Yeah. And what's beautiful about seeing it as that kind of emancipation is that It's just a way to, you know, create heaven. It's spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. It's a way to have exactly what everyone says that they want. But really embodying it. Yeah. And the reason people don't embody it is because of the loss that you so eloquently talk about in the title of your show. Like leaving religion and those you leave behind has been such an emancipation process because – from the beginning, I was this symbol of stuff, but then like really shoved into these spaces of Mormonism mm-hmm. that were really damaging for me. And 
so it's like you got to transmute a lot of that anger, right? To emancipate. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I suppose that like leaving was part of that, but I wanted to be in a place that was compassionate and, and was grounded in what I actually believe sources. Yeah. And love. How old were you when you left? Um, well, like formally, it's only been a few. I feel like this really a, a demarcation line of when emancipation was like, oh, that's what's happening. And it's on now. Like I moved through a portal was almost six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the catalyst for you going? Oh, it's on. Yeah. A series of really like painful events in my life and mm-hmm. my marriage mostly, but also in my relationship with my family, my husband and I owned a business with my mother and stepfather. And we were also going through some stuff and there was just, but I was really going through some stuff. And there was this one particular Christmas where I had met my quota, really met my quota about six years ago and I didn't feel seen Mm. by anyone. I didn't feel like my existence mattered Mm. and it was a pretty dark space that I was in. And I left on Christmas Eve and all six of my kids were home and my, my husband and we had family coming over and I left, like I just left. I like, grabbed keys and left. I was in grubby clothes. I was cleaning our house and I like left in the middle of cleaning our house. And I didn't hear from anyone. Hmm. And it was Christmas Eve, right? Mm -hmm. That'll like do some work because, you know, if I went through a period of time where I made that mean that they didn't care about me, but I think more of it was that they didn't know what to do with Mm -hmm. me. Right. Mm -hmm. My husband didn't know how to be my lover and I didn't know how to be his. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I have to go, okay, it's easy to do that projected. Like this person did this to me, but then it's like, wait, no, like, how is that a mirror? Like I say all of this knowing my contribution. Mm -hmm. Right. But, and that's because you're in a healed state now, but I'm sure in that moment it had to feel really dark and hard and painful. Yeah. And like, it was a, it was a moment of fracture and I spiraled, like I spiraled Hmm. from that space into, Mm -hmm. you know, things I, I, in a different vibe, even a just slightly different vibration would have never considered. Mm -hmm. And that fractured more open Right. Mm -hmm. And I, it was weird because even as I was doing those things, there was a component of me that understood the necessity of it. And like, I have to take ownership of that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like I, I did that with any kind of consciousness or awareness. I don't mean to imply that, but like the energy, the, what we're asking to achieve when we don't understand all the ways that that can happen mm-hmm. and we're unprepared, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we're fractured open and we're saying, show me. Yeah. 
So when you were going through that process, though, of being fractured open, of not feeling yeah. seen, how did that for you tie into like being a catalyst in a portal as you spoke to stepping out of religion? Yeah, well, because um, it felt like that real emancipation process from an old version of myself that was just not at all who I wanted to be. It didn't feel anything like me. Mm-hmm. And figuring out what that was, and then that led to you know the two great changes. My husband, well, so many changes happened in a short period of time, right? So we're making all these realizations about my parents uh, and we're in the midst of a crisis in our marriage Mm. and we're going to therapy. And so our like we're doing work and people are like, you got to look at these aspects of your childhood, right? And the things that occurred in your relationship to your parents and your your wounds, not Mm -hmm. because to blame anyone, but because you have to look. And in that looking process, there were all of these boundaries that started to come into place. And all the boundaries that we had with my family kind of paralleled these boundaries we needed with the church. Hmm. Well, a lot of the safety, right? They say our safety and the boundaries that we do or do not have are formed between the ages of one to seven. Yeah. So yeah, I marinated in, I I believe quite complex feelings that to me, it feels like in all of my work that I can track it down Mm -hmm. and have authenticated that to like womb space. Yeah right? My mom was not well. I don't think my mom is well to this day, unfortunately, right? So like, that's hard to accept. And it's hard to accept how I've contributed to that in any, you know, way, but I'm, I'm this symbol for them. I think that, you know, for those that are listening, the the idea of trauma in the womb space mm. doesn't get talked about a whole lot until you go through it. Yeah. And for me, my brother died when my mom was pregnant with me and had two other deaths when she was pregnant with so me. So it totally tracks to the womb space yeah. for you. And so the reason, I think it's beautiful that this is coming up because, and you're going to continue talking about yeah, this, I'm sure, absolutely. but the epigenetics and mm-hmm. some of the DNA that does mm-hmm. happen that there's a lot of us that feel like we're, we don't, may or not, you may not realize this yet, but if you're stepping out of religion, more than likely, you're actually being called to go break the patterns yeah. of the family system. Yes. And some of the trauma, you know, going back to the womb state space, starts there. Well, and it's a, it, again, looking at my, the choice to embody that knowing, Mm -hmm. like, I think I wrote on my Instagram a few weeks back about how the placenta seems like, like the shooting star, right? It comes to life rapidly and it fades relatively fast. If you look at the grand scheme of time, Mm -hmm. it's so powerful. It's so like, think about how powerful a shooting star is, how Mm -hmm. special a shooting star is. And that like, that feels like a vehicle to me. Yeah. And that was the sort of soup and nourishment, that particular placenta, which happened to be one that was dying. Mm. Like I literally, what I do know about my birth is that my mom's placenta had had no longer worked and I was quite unhealthy at birth. Yeah. I mean, I had to have known that I wanted to co-create 
art out of the human experience through those art mediums. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't in any way, shape or form about my mom, you know, Mm -hmm. it creates a really serious complexity in that relationship. Yeah. And for me has meant the loss of I'm totally in all transparency have spoken to none of my parents for over five years. Wow. Yeah. This, um, when I was first leaving Mormonism and I sat with an energy healer and I was actually going through a divorce and feeling Mm. really traumatized by it and really mad at him and what he was choosing to do. And because I was having an awakening of what I chose into. Yeah. And she, and she said to me, let's say, because I was actually still Mormon. Mm. And so the idea of past lives or the idea of choice of what you're talking to was new to me. And so I want to bring this up for anyone that this is new to you. Yeah. She said, Mandy, let's say for, I used to go by Mandy. Let's say for a minute that you believe we have past lifetimes. So I'll say this to you, Audrey. Yeah. Let's say that you believe we have past lifetimes. And let's say that in each lifetime, the reason why we choose in is for growth, for expansion, for all sorts of expansionness, right? That's why we go in. And let's say we travel in soul families. And in every time you choose to incarnate, you want to choose, go through and experience what your experience is in this life. Because only through those experiences would you grow and cultivate the gifts that you currently possess. And only through those experiences would that happen. So let's say that's true. And you turn to these people in your soul, these souls in your soul family and say, hey, will you be my mom and dad? Will you be my mom in this? And that soul says, okay. And you go down, you jo- go and through and have this experience. This experience. Yeah. When you have a possibility of that in your, um, in your, the, just try that on. If this is a new yeah. concept for anybody that's listening, try that on. That there's a possibility that you did choose into everything you've experienced in this life. Well, think of it like art and like literally choosing, you know, if you're at the art store, there's so many options of what you could create and mediums of color and, you know, like canvases and all sorts of things. Like this is just one big art project. Well, and the irony too is, you know, on some level, whether you still believe in some of the scriptural texts or not, mm-hmm. we chose to have free agency. What's mm-hmm. to say that you didn't choose exactly everything you were going to experience in this life? Well, you can't, you, you can't possibly. Well, I, I, I'd actually say you can know it. I would say that I you can. I have personal experience yeah. I have. I mean, that's, I guide clients all the time to going back to that original soul right. choice point. Right. But you have to have the courage to look at it. And I think that's a big yeah. step in the process of leaving religion and moving through loss, like the grit that this requires. Mm-hmm. And that is the one characteristic that's been super present in Nate and I always. And the grit. Yeah. And our childhood, our childhood developed that undoubtedly. We both had really, really hard childhoods. And And you've grown grit from it. Yeah. And so many other things. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that grit is what's tethered us. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So as a child growing up Mormon, did you have siblings? So after this 
divorce of my parents. My mom is single for a couple of years. They're also, there's so much secrecy. Mm-hmm. And so this period of time, I don't even have any, like there's not even a lot of storytelling mm-hmm. to go off of. It's very secret in all extended family and everyone. There's like this bizarre tight-lipped energy that has been fascinating. And uh, the way that I've been met with questions has been fascinating. Um, Met with questions. Met with questions, Uh like whether that's with my parents or my grandparents or aunts and uncles or just my witness and observation of their behaviors has been really informing and revealing, right? But it doesn't reveal, it doesn't answer the question. It does, but it doesn't at the same time, right? right? And so... um, Mom and mom gets remarried to a man who has five kids, hmm. and so I had five step siblings. And, and uh, how how old were you? I th- I think three or four, but again, like no, I mean, people can't even tell me. I I guess I could find out their their date of marriage, and oh, but God. I have not needed to do yeah. that, right? So it's three or four. Um, my dad had moved to California, and you know, you I guess you could say that you can take the the more the boy out of the Mormon, but not, not the Mormon out of the boy, because lifestyle was so important to him. And I actually really feel that Mormons like lifestyle and the way that their lives look is mm-hmm. something they place a lot of value in. I agree. And he continued to place a lot of value in that. He just took that infrastructure and applied it to having a gay lifestyle in the late seventies and the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And that didn't at that time include children. Like, in fact, it was sort of this invalidating, like, if you're gay, you don't have a kid. Right. And so I was always this thing that he kept hidden. He worked very, very hard to keep me hidden mm-hmm. and spent maybe twice a year for a week surrounded by his family mm-hmm. with me. I I would say it was like a Disneyland dad, like, Hmm. it felt like a vacation. I just like went on vacation with this guy and his family who I had complex feeling. I was miserable. Like I actually do a lot of father wound work with a sculpture that was given to me by Mm -hmm. one of his partners. And Mm -hmm. it's like of what looks to be, you know, maybe a four or five year old girl sitting on a meditation pillow, which I find really interesting. He was an artist. He, and I was chilling at his house while I was supposed to be on visitation with my dad. And he did the sculpture of me and I am like curled over holding my whoopee that went everywhere with me for eight years. Like you can feel the pain of this little girl in this sculpture. And that's been the symbol that's held a lot of my father wound work and is symbolic of I was not well when I was with him. Mm -hmm. Um, when I got older, you know, the fun stuff became more fun and I could lean in, but I didn't really know my father. So I lived with my mom and, um, my stepfather, his kids were with their mom that would sometimes be around on the weekends, but I didn't, was not raised in the same home as them. About when I'm about six years old, my mom and my stepdad have a child And he was always this massive trigger in the familial chemistry, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because I was literally like the devil's child. The complexity of 
what I represented for not just my parents, but their parents Mm -hmm. and the extended family and how each of those people handled that and handled me. And like, it just was so bizarre. And well, it's almost like they're projecting all of their insecurities, yes. their fears, or whatever onto. I grew up holding the responsibility for how everyone, what I thought was how everyone was feeling, because I was only experiencing them in their feelings as they were connecting yeah. with me. So I understand that these people are not all good. They're not all bad. They're not that. There are many different things to many different people. But to me, all of these people are assholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like to me. I'm the con in constant barrage of really difficult energy projection. And so that's the kind of environment I grow up in. Right. My, my stepfather who really, I don't actually remember them getting married. I have no recollection of it. Like none whatsoever. When I look at their wedding photos or pictures of our family at the, around the time that they got together, it doesn't even look like my family. Hmm. It's really, really interesting. But um, he comes from, even though he had been married and divorced and there was some sexual scandal of a different nature that was there in that story, um, it's probably what they bonded over. They, My mom and my biological father and my mom and my stepfather, this trio of humans, they're all so incredibly wounded. Hmm. And in so much pain and so So much. a lot of trauma bonds. Yes. Like just so many trauma bonds are present. So much pain. And, but he comes from, stepdad comes from this like Mormon stock company. They're like from Idaho and one of the most like prestigious Mormon names that isn't associated directly with a general authority. Like this is a well-known Mormon name. Mm -hmm. And so like my, I move in next door to my grandparents. So this is the grandfather, the father of this family, essentially at this mm-hmm. time, who's an inherited, like it, the ancestry is like filled with polygamy they're proud of. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's fascinating. And the men have a very specific vibe mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. And so, so not surprising that he had some sexual scandal that was a little different. Yeah. Well, then fast forward to I'm 13 years old and um, I'm sexually abused by his brother, my step uncle. And I want to believe and I and I, I, I do a big part of me does believe they did the best that they could with that as a family, like speaking to my parents, all three of them and their extended families. They did report it. There were files charged against. That is good. Yeah. So they, they did try to deal with it. But the two things that ended up being really problematic for me were that they withheld access to support. I knew Mm. that I needed support. I asked for it. They took me once and then basically said, you can never go back to like, we're not going to take you back to therapy. This we're not doing this. And you don't know why I don't. That's so interesting. I don't know why. Um, so there's that piece. And there was also that, while they were dealing with what had happened legally from a legal standpoint appropriately, they were also taking me into my bishop's office to repent. You had to repent. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that, that was necessary. And they wanted me meeting with him. And I don't know, I don't know what he felt about that at that time, but Mm -hmm. they wanted me meeting with him for like three to six months weekly. Do you remember much of that going through that? Yeah. How traumatic was that had to be like, you already went through this trauma and now you're, I mean, talk about shame. Yeah. And I spiraled from there, like spiraled. Yeah. (sighs) So sexually that all starts playing out. Like, I don't have support. I'm being shamed for what happened. And privately, my mom's even suggesting that it was my fault in her conversations with me. I mean, that would be implied already, right? If they're now telling you that you have to go and repent for this sin that you committed. It's like, wait a minute. I I didn't say yes to that. Yeah. And just also thinking that any other similar type behavior that might have been going on consensually with like boys my age mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that this was just that me that I was that I was troubled and I must you know be you know really truly some kind of slut or something yeah. right that I'm like now this problem but I've been the problem always <laughs> so and I'm pretty <laughs> used so, to it at this point I laugh but I'm like I'm laughing because it's such a painful like recognition to you know, you came into this world as the problem child. There's some yeah. aspects. Anyway, we could sidebar and have another conversation around that. that yeah. I think a lot of us that are end up being black sheep or whatever you want to call it, yeah. have that aspect in the family system of not being a part of the tribe yeah. and then feeling like we're kicked out. Yeah. Having broken tribal law and right. we all have that system. Mm-hmm. We all come from that system. And I for sure was breaking tribal law, stepping out of line, affecting the way things looked for primarily my stepfather's family and my mother's family, but primar- honestly, primarily my stepfather's family. Mm-hmm. And how like I had to spend time with that uncle, like everyone just pretty much pretended like nothing happened. Wow. So they filed charges, but like there's some stuff, right? Yeah, no it, kidding. It was it was hard. It was painful. And huh. so I spiraled sexually and uh eventually I get pregnant. And their response to that shifted everything for me. How did they respond? So they gave me an ultimatum when I told them in the conversation that I'm, I'm like shaking, I'm throwing, I threw up on the way in the house to talk to them. I'm terrified. It's, it's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, okay, well you have two options and you have to make a decision right now. And it was a serious, it was commitment to adoption process or leave the home do you mind me asking how old you were i was 16 oh geez and you had to make that decision right then yeah and i already knew i didn't want to live there i had that that had been three years of just like i don't know what to say to these people like i could feel how they all felt about me my dad is still only there like twice a year Mm our relationship just is beginning to feel shallow for me. Like I don't, I I'm aware at that age, like I don't actually really know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like finding out things like actually like I know him by his middle name, but 
everyone else calls like people outside of the family call him his by his first given name mm. and like not even knowing that he you know like mm-hmm. i didn't know him yeah i would meet on occasion like oddly meet an employee and they would say didn't know that he even had a kid like mm-hmm. I wasn't part of his lifestyle. So you were displaced from a very young Yeah, age. and abandoned. And and so I had stepdad and dad and mom and I'm pregnant and um, they tell me that I have to leave. And so I start making, I start packing stuff up to leave. And they tell me the car I'm driving I can't take, but that they'll give me money. They like paid me to leave. Like, Sorry for this shitty circumstance that you've gotten yourself into. If we throw some money at you, maybe we'll feel a little bit better about what we're doing here. Right. And I think they did feel like that was the way they could support me. And I was grateful for the support, but it also felt like dirty money. No kidding. Like dirty money. Yeah. So the the boyfriend is significantly older has done gel stints like the kind of guy they're pushing me toward is gross mm-hmm. like really really gross not who you'd want for your child no yeah. and they knew that they knew mm. that and um so he's like seeing dollar signs and buys a vehicle and like rents an apartment and gets some furniture and like we move in and the first night we stay there I have a miscarriage oh man and I knew because I'm like hemorrhaging and bleeding and I know that's what's happening so I you know like we talk about it within the relationship, but we don't like really tell people mm-hmm. and I don't see a need to even say anything. I, I wasn't going to go back. I didn't know what I yeah. was going to do, but I wasn't going to go back and I didn't necessarily want to be entrapped with this guy either. So it was in a no win situation, right? Mm, no kidding. And at a young age, so young. So a f- month and a half later, things get, really volatile and violent. And so I call my dad, I like walk to a gas station, called my dad on a payphone, like a collect call. Cause this is like the nineties. Right. <laughs> and, I remember those. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, begged to come there. I was like, I, I have to leave. I don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And he, agreed but with a tone of apprehension like it wasn't there he was hesitant Mm -hmm. about it so um I get I I abandon a lot of stuff and I ask people if they'll come and get it basically and I get on a plane and I fly to California to stay with my dad and his partner and I'm not there very long like three months Mm -hmm. and not because of poor behavior in quotations because like no one really wants to talk about the behavior of the parents when the teenager teenager is spiraling in a Mormon community especially during that time like it's still problematic today but especially during that time and what ended up happening was I was such a good kid in California. I was like the kid that probably my Mormon parents wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, I could relax though right and then um my dad kicks me out because it just doesn't fit into his partnership that he's in. 
So I'm sent back home to the religious parents that are like, okay, so there's no baby, but like now you're, you're in with the Bishop, like all of the time. And at that point in time, I knew that I just needed to like buckle down and find my way out. And Mm. I was nerdy, kind of smart. Like academia was stupid, kind of easy for me. So I've missed most of my sophomore year. I walk into the school and register as a senior because I have enough credits because I had like overdone some things mm-hmm. and um, just buckle down. And I ended up graduating that year. So as what would have been my junior year, but was my senior year. So I can like get on my, emancipate myself, yeah. right? And so then I meet my husband on a blind date, like just not very long after sort of getting on my own and into school and things like that. And um, enter into a Mormon marriage, which is a whole nother subject. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what our time is We're like. totally fine. Are we? I think your story is, yeah, I think it's, your story is, Fasting and powerful and so heart wrenching. And what I think is beautiful, and I was, as you're talking, um, your, how do I phrase this? Your ability to now be where you're at, which this is why I think, mm-hmm. yes, please continue your story, is quite yeah. empowering, especially for anyone listening who, because most people feel so lost mm-hmm. and don't know where to go. And depending on their circumstances, some are pretty bleak, like with what you're sharing. Yeah. And, the ability that you've had to empower yourself in what, how I showed up in this and what my responsibility was in this piece is very powerful. And I think that it does need to be spoken to and shared. Yeah. Um, Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, for reflecting that. That's so beautiful. And I had no idea, you know, it's like we kind of navigated each other's spaces, but you know, this is one of those things that, you know, I think at a young age, I, you were the pretty girl. And that's to, so weird that anyone would have experienced. I remember me in that. that and way. I, and I struggled with you and, you know, as we're kids, right? Yeah. Um, I've never like what my, the level of attractiveness that I believe I possess mm-hmm. is something I have to do a lot of continual work around. Like I don't perceive myself as anyone that you would consider attractive. Oh my goodness. I and think so, but no, well that, and I, I receive that knowing that like, that's a reflection, like anything that I think someone right. thinks about what I look like is just me reflecting at me. Yeah. Oh, you have a problem with you. And that comes from my parents' problem with me. Yeah. Right. While never feeling like you fit in anywhere. Yeah. You were never received. I was very alone. Well, I think you shared at the very beginning that I think is an important piece to add in. And I hope you don't mind me sharing, but just the fact that your dad named you. Yes. Yes. So my mother and father claim the story that they kind of both authenticate with both have told their version of that seems true um, is that my mother's very dark and olive skinned that if I looked like her, she got to name me. And if I didn't, then my father got to name me. And so my father got to name me, but 
they didn't realize there's like a, a biological reason that babies look like their fathers so that the fathers will claim them. <laughs> like, but I think their marriage was already in a disillusioned right. state of being. And, but this is partly why you referred to yourself as, did yeah. you say Satan's child? Just like the devil's the kid. The devil's kid right. because they... Can you think viewed, of any greater sin in the church than homosexuality? Right. And he, your dad was the one who named you. So yes. this is part of why you carried that along yeah. with all yeah. of these others. Oh, I was... Yeah, I, I, I was the family... I carried for the whole family to a degree uh, the pain around that event that no one will talk about. So you had no siblings. Like, you have no siblings I other have than your step-sibling. No, I have five step-siblings and one half-brother. Yeah. So you were the only child from your yeah. parents. And like to give you, uh, to illustrate where that's at, like I don't talk to any of them and it's not because I haven't tried. Yeah. Like. You can only meet people where they are. Yeah. And if they're not in a space, then yeah. that's not. And that's, I mean, maybe we could dive into that later, but I do. So you go into the Mormon marriage. I want to jump back into your story. Yeah, yeah. So I actually... So I always say that it was a blind date for him, but not me, because I knew that I was going to marry him six years prior to meeting him. Really? Totally cosmic. That's so cool. And so I saw him playing soccer on a soccer field. Um, he was, he's, he's four, almost five years older than me. And so like, we weren't the same age, but my little brother was playing on an adjacent field. That's why I was there. And there was something so relevant about him and I didn't know who he was but um one of the other girls that was kind of sitting in our little gaggle of giggling children she knew who he was and so she told me and I understood its relevancy from that moment until the individual who was setting us up on a blind date said his name Mm. And that's the only reason I went. I wasn't interested in the blind date at all. I was dating like four or five different people at the time. I'm like, uh, got a good rotation here going. Right. I'm, I'm happy. Like <laughs> I pissed, I pissed a few guys off and I don't know if that wasn't a, you know, maybe, maybe it was an attractiveness thing. I have no idea. <laughs> um, my husband would say that like, he's very good at being like, you are just the most beautiful oh. human being, like very consistently. He's such a king. So, um, he come he came from his own stuff mm-hmm. like he he has his own story it's very very different from mine but he has his own story that's kind of unresolved single mom who um had been married quite a few times and just some abandonment stuff yeah. and his own stuff and uh i think that's why we like polarized a bit but there was also this cosmic quality so yeah. i went on the blind date we both knew during the blind date like undoubtedly and it didn't feel like we should waste any time. It took us about three weeks to have the conversation that we both knew. And I started that conversation mm-hmm. and he authenticated what I was feeling. And it was like such an easy thing to run towards one another, to escape, to strengthen our circumstances right. of trying to emancipate ourselves from our families. Mm-hmm. He had been on a mission though. Oh, really? So he was a return missionary, but had come from kind of these alternative Mormon, but alternative type situation. And um, we sort of go into 
a pretty typical routine Mormon married couple. We start baby making way before we're qualified. <laughs> what would in your context what would what would consider you being qualified? Well, I would tell you that I still and I I still feel unqualified, but like Aww. I maybe even more so feel unqualified because when I when you understand the responsibility of stewardship when you're a cycle breaker and a transitional character and you're breaking epigenetic and ancestral lines of pain, you see the damage mm-hmm. and the the cost and the hu- what it does to humanity up close and is like I don't ever want to be a contributor of that. Mm-hmm. And so if the way that I you know I just feel unqualified to have children because you inevitably are a contributor to that. Like unless you go break it. Right? But like my kids have wounds too, mm-hmm. right? And so from a more awakened state, I have a real awareness of how unqualified I was and am. I'm more qualified now than I've ever been, but like I know how far I've come at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like we were totally irresponsible baby makers. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that most of us are. I think I think because that's we're so true. young and you don't know true. you don't know yeah. what you don't know until yeah. you do. And, yeah. And maybe there's a reason why, you know, yeah. and one day we'll really understand it. But because because through pain is our ultimate growth. For sure. Through trauma is You have to be uncomfortable. Deepest. You cannot grow. You don't evolve right. without discomfort. It's a right. necessary ingredient. Yes. So then would you not choose into a family system where certain, you know. The, which speaks right back to the point that this is all like, you know, just part of a process of something, some sort of design that's mm-hmm. more divinely held. Right. I, yeah. You know. 100%. And so we have a kind of you know, decent marriage, we, there's some volatility in it. We, neither of us really have a great example of what mm-hmm. healthy family relationships look like. Well, and you guys were young. We're very young. Yeah. And yeah, you're like still 19. married, which is quite. Yeah, we are. We are still married. So we're 24 years in at this point. Um, he's a, an incredible human being. Um, but eventually like our sort of lifestyle of, buying into illusion right of trying to bury our past and pretend that we're like more put together and we're different people and that we're we are like you know compliant and following the model and so you guys were living the mormon yeah so you were buying in i never for my husband i mean this is the church saved him in his family so his experience is different than mine right so his his process of faith crisis is much different than mine Mm -hmm. but um he's never been like real strict about it in mm. any way. Uh, I've always had this one foot in and one foot out. I've had to, that's been part of my design. Yeah. Right. And I always have really, I don't know if, if I'll still a Mormon term and say murmured about the culture and the behavioral science that I could so easily see within the church that I found disturbing. Right. So, but I was still like, those were privately held conversations like to the external world. I was like, maybe not a strict Mormon, but like someone who was active. You were in. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were in and, and participating in those things. And so when we'd been married about 15 or 16 years, 
there's this series of collapses that occurs in our connection. And I I think we just met this state where it's like we could no longer not address our stuff. Mm -hmm. So it starts showing up Mm -hmm. and triggering. We were in trigger cycles and playing out dirty things with one another, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, really not good things that we have done to each other. And struggling and asking for help from both family and church sources and not getting it, right? Because Mm. we don't really want to address that we have a real problem here and teaching people how to be families, to be in relationship with Mm. one another. And we were under-supported, under-educated, you know, just under all of the things Mm -hmm. and had we're overwhelmed. We had a, a bunch of kids and... So you, you have six kids. Now. We have yeah. six yeah. kids. So the oldest is adopted. And like, maybe if I had had that baby when really I would have had to have been like 15 to mm. have birthed him. Hmm. How interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, and we adopted him as a teenager. Really? Wow. Yeah. And, and it, I shouldn't, I, I don't love the term adopted because we didn't formally adopted him. It felt like a grafting in that mm-hmm. occurred hmm. and like it's, there's nothing formal about it legally speaking, Yeah. but like he calls us mom and dad. He's in all of our family pictures. Yeah. Like he was your family. Yeah. He's our family. But, um, and then five biological kids mm-hmm. that range in age from 22 to seven mm, that's a long that's a big age range yeah age range to so be. Yeah. yeah we irresponsibly made babies over a long period of time <laughs> so, I love it. so yeah funny. yeah um but at our fracture open point when we started to see some things a couple of interesting things happened one is that because we shared a business relationship with my mom and my stepfather at that point, who we had a relationship with, we were, we were following a model that they could claim. Right. You guys were doing the, all the good. Mormon yeah. Things. Yeah. And, um, there were parts of our early marriage and our story, especially around a daughter that was born with special needs that served them mm-hmm. in notoriety. Hmm. And so, there was a reward for that mm. for a long period of time. So we're in this business relationship with them and our marriage is kind of unraveling. So the, the integration into the business of that reveals some things. And I'm also hankering for a mom. Yeah. I'm also like wanting from when I'm suffering the most, when I'm inside the, a deep, a dark space, having just feeling like I have no value, mm. whether that's true or not. Right. Um, it's not true, but, you know, feeling like that and reaching to her and me sharing with her, triggering her Mm. into an entirely, it's, it's not that she immediately transformed into a different person, but I saw her differently from that moment on. And some of the behaviors and our interactions and our relationship that preceded that period of time were really alarming for me. Would you say that with these things that were starting to happen that I'm going to use the word veil, the veil was starting to come off your eyes. So then you were able to see things a little bit more clearly of what was actually going on. Yes. 
And I was setting boundaries because I recognized, oh, here's what's actually happening. And here's what boundary I need to continue to engage in this relationship. And we would never get to a point where we could even talk about the actual problem because we spent so much time fighting over the boundaries themselves and Mm. their resistance to those boundaries. Mm. And there was bizarre patriarchal behavior on my stepfather's part that was like so disgusting and gross and my husband was witnessing that and experiencing they almost got in a fist fight at work one day wow and it's just it just was so volatile and so my husband and I step away from we're at this point uh, we're already fractured open and in therapy and choosing to that we can't deny that we actually do want to be together, that that's always been there, even inside of our behaviors. Like Mm -hmm. we don't want to be apart. Right. We are very devoted to one another. Even when we're messy, we're very, very devoted to one another. And so we're working our stuff out, but we decide we're going to leave the business and start to set these boundaries with my family, which in a short period of time, it's really not crazy short. I would say about 18 months of setting boundaries with them until we just said like you, you no contact you, we don't want any kind of a relationship at all with, with you. And simultaneously there's this emancipation from my biological father as well. When he reveals to me that he, um, wasn't, wouldn't, didn't want to visit, spend time with me because, for his current partner, my existence was triggering that he wasn't going to lose another partner because of me. And I, that was very vel lifting as well. Like, Oh, this is what I've always known about my relationship with my dad that he never made claim. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about dad? Like, well, when you were here as a teenager, like these time periods are so linked of, and the the resolution of everything that happened when I was 16 was actually happening almost exactly 20 years later. Wow. And so he's saying, yeah, I'm going to, I choose my partner that ends our relationship because he makes not a single bit of effort from that day on, mm-hmm. like doesn't really want to step into having this conversation. Yeah. Right. Is is all this just out of curiosity? Was it back in 2012 when this started unraveling? That was a really pivotal year, but no, this is like okay. 15, 16 ish. Okay. Because yeah. 12 was a catalyst year for a lot yeah, of us. Yeah. So, um, so I just was curious. A little bit later than that. And so we are ending our relationship with my family mm-hmm. and dissolving the business and stepping away from the business. We're not going to changes. We're not going to have like that income we've had. We decide that financially it would be smart to sell our home, which was a, a fairly large home and almost everything we owned. And we moved into a bus. You did with six kids. Wow. And no modern utilities, no running water and outhouse. The bus was broken down. So it was stable, like you didn't drive around no. the bus, you were... It was parked on uh, five acres of land that we owned that my uh-huh. husband had inherited from his grandfather, actually. Uh-huh. And it has a little bit of a cinder block cabin built around it, so the bus is inside. <laughs> I 
love how you're telling this story. <laughs> and it's roughly like 600 square feet. Um, so we move into this bus with six kids. Wow. To work ourselves out yeah. and start meditating every day on our land. And um, we're living very rural at that point. And just we're doing a lot of work on ourselves mm-hmm. for those nine months, kind of just dealing with a lot during that time. And and the evolution of our, from that space, from really the space that of the fracture, like a real true fracturing open, open of our relationship. Like it felt like it was dead. We've only healed from that mm-hmm. moment in our relationship with each other and with our children. Yeah. It's, it's really, really beautiful at this point. Like I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire life. But that also triggered that formal emancipation from my parents and coincided this emancipation from the church because it was so integrated into Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and it was the systems were so identical as I experienced them I had always been you know like the thing that people whispered oh her dad's gay like you know and knew like there was just stuff around who I represent right for both systems. Mm-hmm. So I leave for cultural reasons, which then bled in. I'm a researcher. I love research. One of the beautiful things my mother gave me was she was a librarian. And she always had a lot of books. You mm-hmm. could always find me. Nate used to, when we were well, early in our marriage, he would say, you were like, Belle, like your nose was always in a book. <laughs> and um, it was. I love I love to read. I Mm -hmm. love learning. And so I decided that I was going to take a look at the church. And I didn't skip any subject that I know of. I explored a lot of subjects I wanted to look at for the first time in my life. In the same way I looked at my parents and knowing that in looking at the system, that I would learn about my relationship with my parents and that it was needed to break Mm -hmm. these cycles. Like I needed that information. It was totally done out of not a way to blame them, but a way to love them. To understand. Yeah, like the very minimal interaction I've had with my mom and over a text message in the last year has been like, I love you more now than I ever have. And that feels very, very real and true to me. That I love my family more. So I did a lot of research and just all of that research took me further and further away. From the church or from your parents? From both. Yeah. It was very simultaneous. So when you talk about like leaving religion and, and those we leave behind, I left my entire family of origin behind. Well, your whole story is most people's fear. Yeah. You yeah. know, of why they don't leave because of the people you leave behind and because of yeah. what it could mean. I mean, even to the point of living in a bus. Yeah. On land. Yeah. Grit. I, right. It's the grit. Like, and from the bus, we moved into a thousand square foot cabin that had some utilities, but like, it was wood burning stove. He, I had to boil water to do dishes. Mm-hmm. And we lived there for three and a half, almost four years. Mm-hmm. Um, we let those spaces work us. We didn't have to do that. Yeah. My husband and I both 
from a financial place are more abundant than we've also ever Mm -hmm. been in our entire lives. Like we really didn't have to live like that. Mm -hmm. We did because we saw that it was serving well, and the simplicity in it. Yeah. Like there's some, I mean, just personally, my soul, and we didn't talk about this before, we started to a little bit with just what my husband does. And oh, yeah. some of it, we looked at getting land when I closed down my yeah. business because there is, and I was just joking around with friends of mine today of, hey, are we ready for our commune yet? <laughs> you know, of just getting out of the so, complexity of the things yeah. and going into that simplicity. There is something that does call to the soul of it's very grounding. slowing it down. Yeah. 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 I love that we live really very, very simple lives. That's beautiful. Uh, you know, as simple as we, I feel like they're still quite complex, but I think if you looked at our lives, you'd be like, oh, it's simple. In my body, it's not. <laughs> oh, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so, and I love that you shared that your husband's experience was different with leaving because that's always, you know, couples yeah. go through very yeah. different experiences because yeah. there's that individuality piece that often gets lost in, especially where you guys were married and been together for so long. Yeah. His feelings for the church were always my biggest concern. I think I probably would have left long before if I thought that he would stay with me, but I actually didn't believe that. Mm. And in the beginning of our emancipation, right, I'm blogging at this time, but it, I'm not publicizing that it's a, that I'm blogging. Like I'm not telling anyone that I'm doing this. And it's yeah. this blog called Finding Utori. Utori is like a Japanese idea that we can find beauty in everything and anything. Mm, And I loved it. Right. And so one day I published this piece around, it definitely was around um, sexuality and Mormonism because in 15, a lot of that stuff was going down around like, and I was that kid that the church was saying, like, you wouldn't be able to get baptized. Like they were actually verbally saying, and there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this was when the church made that oops. Yes. This is what prompted me to remove my records, by the way. Okay. For so many people, it's that. Well, I'm that kid. Mm-hmm. So I'm super triggered at that time. And yeah, and for probably a year or two years, I'm writing a lot about that kind of stuff. And just like, I don't even think more than two or three people are reading my blog. Well, somehow my, my parents stumble upon it, even though we're not actually in communication at all wow. at that point in time. But they are with my husband because there's some business stuff that they're wrapping up. I've blocked them. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my husband gets a text from my mother stating that, like, I've now become a progressive Mormon and it is time for him to leave me and that they will support him. Oh, my goodness. And he shows me the text because, like, we've all, again, we're super committed to one another. Mm-hmm. And um, I just was like, okay, like, whoa. Yeah. Right? You know? And so um, it's really interesting, but to speak to Nate's work, part of his story, uh, his Mormon story has been learning how to hold space for me to have such a wildly different experience with the church than he has. Mm -hmm. And that that can be true too, right? Mm -hmm. And um you know, the things about that bug him about the church and are part of his sort of emancipation from participation in that it have not, there are things I can see as problematic, but they're not the things that trigger me. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. 
his his own things. Yeah. And so there's as many paths back to God as there are living things, not just human beings, mm-hmm. but living things. Mm-hmm. That's how, and more than that, like math isn't math. So <laughs> for me, source is math, is numbers. Mm-hmm. I see whatever you believe God to be as math, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I know a lot of people who have the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I see math and everything. Is that why you have the Merkaba on your wrist? Yes. <laughs> Merkaba is a sacred geometry symbol. Yeah. Which means a lot of different things. It means so many. I things. have a Merkaba on my back. Oh, you do? My heart. Oh no. I think I've seen you post a picture of this and yeah. I was like, Oh, I have one of those. No, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, math is one of the truest languages, right? Yeah. It's one that, and math is in everything. I mean. It's in our the, birth, speaking to like us choosing a space to yeah. come into. It's yeah. in the date that we're born. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Fibonacci sequence, it shows that yeah. we're all connected. We're all one. Yeah. The gold mean, you know, there's. Yeah. Good, we could probably have a long conversation. We could. About this we totally too. could. <laughs> <laughs> but coming back to where you're at now. Yeah. Um, you've been through a shit ton in your life. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I think it, um, and I so appreciate again, you sharing your story because mm, you've been you. through it and then you're here Yeah, to where you're on this. Like you said, you're happier than you've ever been. I'm like healthier than I've ever been. I regularly get mistaken as like a 20 year old, mm-hmm. you know, 20 something year old or people think that, I'm my, I have a 20 year old boy and when I'm like somewhere with him, people think I'm his girlfriend and he cannot even handle it. (laughs) That's so funny. I would even say I don't look the same. Yeah. No. I mean, you do not look remotely the same Mm -hmm. from, I mean, you're still beautiful, but you were blonde. Yeah, I was blonde and, you know, there's a lot of different, still short, but (laughs) just so many different, different things. Yeah. What would you, what would you like to offer to people that are listening who maybe resonate with your story or they're in their own process of, I actually want you to speak to the fear, to mm. the fear of, I want to leave, but I'm afraid of yeah. I mean, the myriad of things. Right? Yeah. So it requires an intimacy with fear. Like it's a real love making. <laughs> with fear i love that but you need to explain more of what you mean yeah like you've got to sit you've got to be with it you got to make love to the dark spaces and the shadow aspects of yourself and your character you know the things the things going on in your life that are showing you the things you're avoiding or numbing or distracting yourself from like Mm -hmm. the 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 lean away from fear it's leaning into it Mm -hmm. and saying all right Let's hear. Let's let's get naked together and um, yeah. share with one another. And I do that in a ceremonial way, in a practice and meditation practice that mm-hmm. is some. Uh, it's always been very difficult for me to explain. But my palm reading that I got yesterday, a little shout out to Ashy Adams. <laughs> um, I love Ash. Is that. Uh, now I got a back. <laughs> oh dear. Um, 
What was I saying? You're talking about it's difficult to share your ceremonial process with fear. Oh, yeah. And then actually in I'm, your palm reading. Yeah. Like that my, my practice is of a pioneer quality. Like it doesn't currently oh, exist. Mm-hmm. And I've never, you know, people will be like, is it Kundalini? Cause there's Kundalini like influences or like there's, you know, some people have talked to me about kindred meditation, like different meditation techniques. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what, what to call this. Right. So the name of my company is the breathing co and I love mm-hmm. breath work as a vehicle for meditative practices. And it, it serves as like a pillar, but like the kind of meditation practices I design, like deal with your shit they alchemize like what's up with you they give you a way to be intimate with fear Mm -hmm. and effective Mm -hmm. in building a loving relationship with fear and i think that's beautiful oftentimes we think that our thoughts and our emotions define who we are yeah and i've been i've been grateful of my awareness and so many of us that are out there now teaching that, Hey, these emotions are more, they're catalysts. There's tools to be able to go yeah. look to see what's underneath there. They're You're just there the person to show feeling you. them, yeah. not the feelings themselves. Right. So yeah. what's underneath that? Yeah. What do you get to look at? Yeah. So I design practices that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take, I, I sit with people who allow me to vulnerably see them and design practices that can help them be intimate with fear. And And that's what you're talking about with that get naked with and make love with. That is that intimacy of can you intimately go in and look at the shadow, go look at the fear of what is stopping you. So it's just an infrastructure though. It's the individual who does the actual work. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, that's what's so beautiful about it. And I, I love what I do because it feels like, reciprocity yeah right mm-hmm. because i'm what i'm nourished by the witnessing of someone actually doing their work yeah it's such an honor it's it so is. incredibly beautiful and mm-hmm. um so yeah that's what my my work is both individually yeah. like on myself and with myself and with anyone who asks me to hold space for them like mm-hmm. i don't tell people no generally um i will at least not initially <laughs> i suppose i've said no sometimes yes well you you have very good boundaries so i'm sure you have yeah. said no sometimes yeah. yeah so for people who are living and are are leaning into that fear or resisting it mm-hmm. i think that that is a good like lean into it go have yeah an intimate and if you want to learn how or like one mm-hmm. way there's so many ways to do that like yeah. i don't ever profess to be someone who claims to know the path um, I'm not that kind of guru. I'll never be that kind of guru. That's actually what I don't like about the church. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, I don't subscribe to that model. I think I, the one thing I know I believe in is a source of, of some kind, right. I experience that as math, but, um, sovereignty mm-hmm. is like this thing that grounds me. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, my value. Like, mm-hmm. how would you explain and define sovereignty to you? Well, ultimately, it's being able to access choice. 
I have this teaching. It's like one of the only teachings that I append myself and like to the like combination of words enough to be like, this is mine. <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose a few have come along in the last few years, but it was one of the early ones and it's liberation is not the absence of captivity. It's the awareness you have a choice mm-hmm. and that that's sovereignty. Beautiful. Yeah, 100%. Right? And so, um, and through the process of being intimate with fear, you gain sovereignty. That's what you get out of of that experience mm-hmm. and from a place of sovereignty you can set appropriate boundaries and gain even more sovereignty mm-hmm. and well and deep sovereignty from this place of what you're talking about is really coming to awareness of who you really are yeah and that that's peace that's where you just relax into like i'm gonna let life happen for me mm-hmm. And there's such a deep rootedness. And I think right now there's a little bit of a misnomer that's happening with the sovereignty word. Yes. Of people claiming or proclaiming that they're sovereign beings usually are doing it from a mountaintop of shouting right. down. Right. Instead of uh, we embodying are it sovereign beings. And embodying it and moving through the world in that way instead of needing the validation that I'm yeah. sovereign. Yeah. And so I think that there, I'm just going to speak to that because that's something that I'm yeah. noticing that there's a little bit of a a tweaking that's well, happening. I think too that I wrote about this on my Instagram today. Um, we uh, have in our com- in the Mormon communities, we have a real social problem with comparison mm-hmm. and assimilation. Yeah, and in in so doing, it's there's a lot of people who can attach them like you know when we talked about my dad creating a lifestyle just taking the infrastructure it's Mm -hmm. that same thing as taking the infrastructure of looking a certain way creating illusion that you can apply to spiritual practices Mm -hmm. and your evolution and that can raise your ceiling a little bit but there's still a limitation on it well, and often that happens because that feels safe, right? Yeah. That's where the sense of yeah. safety is. And so it's so in- part of the process. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you on that. It's a necessary step yeah. to move through because embodiment of sovereignty is not easy. It's very, very scary. It requires deeper and deeper levels of intimacy with fear. And I would offer for those of you listening again, that if you're leaning, if you're starting to feel a call to step away from religion, or you have stepped away, it is a call to more your soul self of what you're asking to really experience in this life. Yeah. That is sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. And that's being one with source, Mm -hmm. right? Not separate. But yeah. Body. And organized religion conditions us to believe that we are separate. Yeah. yeah. It, it's why spirituality and religion struggle to meet each other. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? <sighs> Just that um, I think that a big part of telling my story, I've told my story a lot privately. In fact, I tell my story a lot with my clients mm-hmm. because storytelling is such a powerful source us. of connection, right? Yeah. Um, but sharing it publicly sure is self-serving to a degree, but like I understand that if I've figured out a way to suffer less in this human experience and an awareness of how much we choose that, mm-hmm and can 
show people another path, another story to, to consider mm-hmm. that I have a responsibility there and that that is out of love yeah. for the collective. I a hundred percent agree. So to the listeners, said. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hang out. Meet me, meet me somewhere. Slide into the DM. Um, and that leads me into you, especially right now, you mentioned that you have a lot of clients that are, that you're coaching through fake yeah. transitions. Yeah. So what do you do? How can people find you? Yeah. So people come to me and just want whatever th- this medicine is, right? It's mm-hmm. very, very hard to articulate what it is for my clients or for me. There doesn't even seem so to be So then you're working on the soul level. Yeah. Yeah. But people come to me with some ailment in their life. It could be in their physical body, in their relationships, in business. It could be in something they're trying to create or... Dice. Some sort of a resistance or block. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we'll, we'll help. I'll support them through processing that and mm-hmm. build an infrastructure for them to test moving some of that energy with their own bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so many of my clients right now are struggling with religious stuff, like an astronomical number. Yeah. And I would say not even, I would say, all of my Mormon clients or who've come from Mormon backgrounds are struggling in one capacity or another with the church right now. And about half of my clients come from that environment, Mm -hmm. whether they are still participating or not Mm -hmm. is kind of fluctuating between Mm -hmm. them all. So yeah, that people come and do that. I also teach classes like I have an upcoming class called breathwork is medicine where I just teach the science of why breath work is a vehicle. Mm, like why is it that it even works to move mm-hmm. energy and how can you use it to do that? Especially for people who like me can sit down and with ease design uh, an experience that actually has some potential yeah. to it. Right. I understand that in that way I have a responsibility to the collective because I can. It, mm-hmm. It's fairly easy for me. Mm-hmm. So to, it's part of what you're here to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I teach that to those who think they can step into their own practice quite easily and need the science and the breathwork techniques mm-hmm. as a resource. So you teach that up in Canada? It kind of can be all over the place. The next one is in Park City, October oh, cool. 22nd, 23rd, which I think is the same weekend you have something yeah, going on. Yeah, but that's down yeah. south. Um, which is funny because Holly, the one who I co-facilitate with, she's also very mm. big into the breath. Yeah. Yeah. You guys need to get to know each other. I would love to get to know another breath worker. Um, so how do people on Instagram, you have Instagram, do you have a website? So thebreathingco.com and on Instagram, thebreathingco. Super cool. Yeah. Well, I just, part of me is like, I just want to sit here and keep talking about your story. Oh. And again, thank you for being being willing to share thank it. Thank you. Thank you for coming from such a heart open space mm. and having such a vulnerable story shared shared with I don't love's not it's love but then also just such a healed state right yeah yeah so thank you for doing what you're doing oh, because now you're you. an example and out there helping other people with moving through there oh. which you know the the whole saying that we're here just here to guide people home is so true. what I keep you it's know so true what I keep hearing. So thank you. Yeah, Thank you for holding the kind of space that is such an elegant container for these types of conversations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah.
All right. right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sending you all so much love. This conversation, this story that Audrey shared was powerful. And I could have spent, or this podcast went a little bit longer, and really I could have spent another hour having this conversation with her and just diving into some of these pieces that she has experienced and that she has learned. And her story really is an inspiration to all of us of of true surrender and true leaning into the unraveling and the gifts that come from leaning in to the unraveling. So I was really honored and grateful to share space with her and really the sacredness of, of where she's at and what she's experienced. So I hope you enjoyed this today. Again, share, like, and subscribe to the podcast and please leave me a five-star review. The more we get these stories out there, the more beneficial that our stories have with other people in their transition. So many people are going through faith transition right now and we really are here to assist each other and really are here to guide each other home. So if you feel inspired, please share. And as always, again, jump on my website, amandajoyloveland.com to see what I have upcoming. And you can find Audrey at thebreathingco.com. Have such a beautiful day. And remember, you are not alone.